Today we continue in a sermon series titled, Walking in Faithfulness. Paul's letter to the church in Colossae was meant to to plug a leak in the life of the church. They were in danger of shifting from the hope of the gospel that they had heard. You know, all Christians can suffer from the temptation to shift from the hope of the gospel to some lesser, earthly, temporal gospel with a little g. And so Paul's message to that ancient church is a timely message for us today. It's a word that we all need. And so as I read, would you please listen as if your life depends on it, for it surely does. Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 29. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If we want to know God, if we want to know his will, If we want to know his way, we must know his word. Let's pray. Father, we are so blessed this morning to have these treasured words from Paul, riches and glorious words of truth of your gospel. We are in need of hearing this. Open up these words to our hearts and our minds so that we may walk in faithfulness, pleasing to you. In all that we do, we pray. Amen. Are you a good steward? If you've been a Christian for a while, perhaps you're getting a little uneasy in your seat right now. Is he going to preach on stewardship? Is he going to challenge me with regards to my giving? Well, yes to the first question and no to the second. It's true that when we hear the word stewardship in Christian circles, uh, the mind turns to how Christ has called us to be a steward of our financial resources, that the Christian is to see that everything that he or she has ultimately belongs to God. And so we, so we don't hold tight to our possessions, but rather, um, and, we, and we don't give God the leftovers from our lives, but rather we are good stewards and of all the financial good that God has given to us. But there's something more that we are to steward. Look at verse 25. Paul writes that he became a minister. Now the word here literally means a servant, diakonos. He became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. 
God entrusted Paul to be a steward of the gospel, to treasure it above all else, to care for the gospel, to spread the gospel, to defend the gospel. Paul stewards the gospel first by pressing it deep into his own life, which we must do as well, but then by helping countless others to press the same gospel into their lives so that they too would live as stewards of the gospel. So, my friends, who Paul was as a steward of the gospel, we are to become ourselves. But that church in Colossae, was struggling to hold on to the gospel, let alone steward it. In verse 23, just right before us, remember this is one big letter, it was going to be read all at one time. And so right before us, Paul says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, and listen, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Paul is rightly concerned about something we should be concerned about, a shifting from the hope of the gospel in our passage. And throughout this letter, Paul, Paul repeats these words of full and fullness and mystery and knowledge. It seems like they were outsiders coming into the church. They were working their way in, and they were pointing out that there was other things the church needed, that there were secret rites and rituals where we, whereby you would get knowledge and insights. That they were saying that, that fullness surely cannot come to you by the gospel message alone. There are itches that the gospel cannot scratch. There are checkboxes that the gospel cannot check off. And so we too suffer from this. We receive and we believe in the gospel, but then, but then we long for more out of life. We long for things that the gospel doesn't even allow for us. And so it happens without hardly noticing, but we can shift from the hope that God has given us in the gospel. For instance, we can shift from the gospel when we elevate our careers over our church community. We can shift from the gospel when we pursue fullness and happiness over holiness. We can shift from the gospel when we lived turned-in, self-focused lives. There are many ways we can shift from the gospel. The question is, how about you? What is the, how do you tend to find yourself shifting from the hope of the gospel? Thankfully, in this passage, Paul stewards the gospel well for us. In our passage, he turns our gaze back to the gospel. In verse 27, he describes the gospel with these words, riches and, and glory. My friends, these are treasure words. Our solution for shifting from the gospel is to treasure the gospel all the more. And isn't it true when you treasure something, you also steward it well? My friends, what we'll see here this morning is this. We have been entrusted to steward the richest of treasures, the gospel. We're going to divide our time into three areas. First, we're going to look at the gospel message then gospel ministry, and then gospel method and means. First, let's look at the gospel message that we must come to treasure. Now, I think everyone likes a good mystery. You read a novel, and, and at the end of it, you find out it was the accounting clerk who saved the day, right? You know, um, no one would ever have thought to think that. In some ways, the gospel is like that. It is something that you never would have thought to think, but now you know it and you think it. What was once a mystery has now been revealed, and it's become your greatest treasure. Twice in verse 26 and 27, Paul refers to the mystery. 
now revealed in the gospel. It's a twofold mystery. He writes 26, he says, the, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. What is the mystery? Well, the first aspect of the mystery has to do with salvation coming to the Gentiles. Now, in the Old Testament, God told his people, he told the world that he had a desire to bless the Gentiles uh, through his people, the Jews. But what nobody expected was that God would save the Gentiles and then bring them in as one body, one people, not a separate people, but one body. That was the mystery hidden for generations, but now revealed. God's people are one. The church now is the people of God, and it's made up of Jews and Gentiles alike. The second aspect of the mystery is seen at the end of verse 27. We read there, riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What was hidden and has now been revealed was that God himself wouldn't just be with his people, but he would be in his people. God had always been with his people, first there in the garden with Adam and Eve, and and then in the tabernacle, and later in the temple. But now the gospel opens up an amazing new covenant reality. Paul treasures it above all things. Riches and glory are the words he uses to describe the mystery now revealed. Please don't let these words, riches and glory, pass in one ear and out the other. Christ in you is a glorious, rich treasure that you are to steward, to care for, to maintain, to cause to flourish. The mystery now revealed is that the Lord Jesus Christ, the risen Lord of glory, who lived for you and died for you and has risen to the right hand of God for your benefit and who and, and reigns in glory, now dwells in you. He's not merely with you or beside you or over you. He's in you. Paul calls it what? The hope of glory. Notice now, though, Paul doesn't call the gospel message. He doesn't say, Christ in you, glory now for you, right? He says something different. He says, he says, he says Christ in you, the hope of glory. What's going on here? What is Paul doing? Here's what he's doing. He is addressing a tendency in Colossae and a tendency in our lives to look to the gospel to give us fullness here and now. Theologians call this an overrealized eschatology. <laughs> All right, but don't worry about that. If you're taking notes, I can, I can give you the spelling later. But for us, it simply means that we can wrongly live with the expectation that God's kingdom, which has come, is here to fix everything here and now. That salvation in its fullness is here in some way. And so we can live our Christian lives wanting, expecting more fullness than the gospel allows us. And so we live wanting Jesus in a secure nest day. We, we want Jesus in, in well-liked Instagram accounts. And, and we want and even demand God to give us fullness in the present. And if not, we're going to be gloomy Christians 
who shift from the hope of the gospel. Do you see this in your life? Do you see this tendency? I like how John Stott summarizes Paul's point here. He writes, listen, the dangerous tendency is to see the present rather than the future as the time when God's full salvation is to be enjoyed. Further down, he says this, how different is Paul's gospel? Listen, the experience of Christ dwelling in our hearts by faith gives not the possession, but the promise of full salvation. The greatest gift of Christ in the present is a certain hope for the future. Do you follow me there? The Colossians were being told that there is a fullness in life here and now that the gospel cannot give you, and you need to get it. Paul corrects them and us by saying, Christ in you does not mean fullness of life for you now, but rather the riches and the glorious fullness in the age to come is yours because Christ dwells in you as your hope of that glory. You follow that. You see how important this is for our lives, for walking in faithfulness, for us to not shift our our hopes from the glory of the gospel, to try to make more in this earthly life than the gospel really allows. I don't know about you, but I, I need that reminding, right? How do Paul's words challenge you this morning? Perhaps you're here and you're someone who hasn't yet trusted in Christ. If so, do you not recognize in yourself, like, you may not word it this way, but a longing for glory, um, a longing for just a complete fullness in life? You sense that something is missing, you can't put your finger on it? Well, that desire for fullness is given to you by God himself. You've been made in his image to experience fullness in him. C.S. Lewis famously stated, he said, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. (laughs) And so if you're here and you're feeling that sense of longing for fullness, here's what you do. Trust in Christ. Turn to him. Lay your sins on him and his cross. And experience now Christ in you, the hope of glory. If you are a Christian, allow Paul's words to challenge your assumptions regarding how much glory and fullness you are expecting in this life. The things you find yourself clinging to other than Christ and his gospel. Don't get me wrong. If Christ dwells in you, then you do experience some of the aspects of that glory of Christ and his kingdom here and now. You truly do. Paul will cover that a little bit later. Chapter 3, we'll go through some of that. But today, let us examine ourselves. Are you expecting fullness in life apart from the gospel? Or do you treasure the gospel message, Christ in you, the hope of glory? So that's the gospel message that we are to treasure. Now let's turn to the gospel ministry. Now remember, ministry means service, right? So this isn't you being called to be an ordained minister, Paul provides an example of what gospel ministry, gospel service looks like. What we see is this, is those who treasure the gospel message 
we are to, stu- be, to be stewards committed to the gospel ministry. Paul describes two important aspects of the gospel ministry in our passage. What are they? If you're taking notes, here we go. First, to make the word of God fully known. And second, to make the people of God fully mature. First, a steward is a servant of the gospel who makes the word of God fully known. We see this in Paul's words at the beginning of verse 24. At the end, rather, of verse 24. You see where it says, For the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Paul's desire as a steward of the gospel is to make the word, the gospel itself, fully known. Remember Paul's prayer from a few weeks ago? He prayed for this, remember? In in verse 9, Paul prayed that they would be what? Filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Now we see that Paul doesn't just pray that they're filled with knowledge of God and his will. He actually now makes this word fully known to them in his very teaching. And as they listen, and as the Holy Spirit in them causes them to delight in this truth and live it out, and they begin to, what, bear good fruit in a way pleasing to the Lord, what happens? They increase in the knowledge of God. That's Paul's prayer. Now, here's an important truth to chew on. Fullness of knowledge of God doesn't come by just putting God's word into your head. No, it comes by putting his word that's in your head into practice. It is then that you increase in the knowledge of God. What do I mean? Take, for instance, you're struggling financially. You're having a a financial trial. But you put Jesus' words into your head. When Jesus says, do not be anxious about anything, about what you eat, about what you wear. He says, for your heavenly Father knows your needs and he cares for you. He'll provide for you. Now think about it. It's, it's, is it not true that you won't really come to understand Jesus' words until you listen and do them and trust your heavenly Father? And then you come to experience that, that your Heavenly Father cares for you and provides for you. And, and what happens? You increase in knowledge of God and His wisdom. But now your knowledge isn't just a head knowledge. It is an experiential knowledge. Those of you who have been Christians for a while, you know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? <laughs> You hear more from the word of God and you walk in that word and you experience it to be true and you know your heavenly father all the more, right? That's how Paul is able to say we're able to do this with joy. To experience that suffering and and then coming to experience this truth and knowledge of God through experience brings joy to our lives. So, the gospel minister stewards the gospel by making it fully known in the body of Christ, the church. That's the first goal of gospel ministry, to make the word of God fully known. 
The second goal is to make the people of God fully mature. Paul describes this in verse 28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Are you a mature Christian? Be careful not to answer that so swiftly. Maturity is a lot like humility. If you think you have it, you probably don't. (laughs) And is it not true that that a Christian can be mature in some areas, but not in others? For instance, a Christian may be mature in the way in which they daily open up Scripture and read it and, and pray, but that same person could be immature, perhaps in how they relate to others. Perhaps they become angry quickly, or they judge others. Paul says that presenting everyone mature in Christ is his goal of ministry. Christian, understand this. Your maturity in Christ is paramount to Christ. Why? Because you belong to his body. He is the head and we are his body and he wants us to be mature. Have you ever seen a bodybuilder who only works the upper body? Just, you know, abs and arms, right? Scrawny legs. It looks pretty pitiful, doesn't it? The same is true for the body of Christ. Each believer is a member of the body. And Paul, the faithful steward of the gospel, seeks to present everyone mature in Christ. How is this accomplished? Look again at verse 28. It begins where? Him we proclaim. Maturity in the Christian life is all about him who we proclaim. See, immature Christians tend to think that the gospel is only for that day in which they were saved. But what we see here is that the cross of Christ isn't just for the day in which you were saved. It's for every day of your life. The gospel isn't just to save you. It sanctifies you. It matures you. So Paul says, him we proclaim. And did you notice three times in verse 28, Paul uses the word everyone? Warning everyone and teaching everyone that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Gospel ministry and gospel maturity is for everyone. You know, sometimes we do need to warn our fellow Christians. Do you know one of the marks of a healthy church is something called church discipline? Now, I know it sounds kind of harsh, but it's a loving thing. This is perhaps you or maybe the elders uh, in love coming alongside a brother and sister in Christ and in love warning them according to scriptures. And then you proclaim Christ to them, and you teach them. My friends, we do that here at Grace Church. It's it's not easy. It's hard work, but it's what the Lord calls us to do. It's how we mature and grow. And then the body matures more and more. That is the pattern. There's warning and teaching. This is how we mature as Christians. This is how the body matures. This is the gospel ministry that you've been called to. Grace Church, we're called to grow and mature. And as we do, we'll see that each of us has a calling to steward the gospel within the body here at Grace Church. We have a calling to gospel ministry. To make the word of God fully known 
and to present everyone mature in Christ. So we looked at the gospel message. We looked at the gospel ministry. Now we're going to get two in one. Gospel method and means. Here's the big idea here. Paul shows us that the method of of gospel ministry is through toil and suffering. And the means of gospel ministry is by the power of Christ in you. First, the method. Verse 29, Paul writes, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy. Another word for toil is labor, right? Ministry is labor, right? It's toil. It's not easy. It's easy just to log into your Netflix account, right? But hard is like getting in your car and driving to support someone or care for someone. Ministry is, it is labor. It's toil. Verse 24, Paul writes that he rejoices in his sufferings. My friends, the more that we live as stewards of the gospel, the more, not less, we will experience suffering for the sake of the body of Christ. And when we suffer, it is not a cause for us to enter into self-pity, but a cause to rejoice. In the Sermon on the Mount, remember Jesus told us just that. Remember what he said, Matthew 5? Blessed are you when others give you money? No, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. This is not for you like cheating on your taxes, right? This is, this is for, you know, on Jesus' account. What does he say? He says, rejoice and be glad when this happens. For your reward is great where? In heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is, the, this is the pattern. This is the method by which the gospel goes out. It is, it is rejected in so many ways. It, and, and as we bring this message, we toil and struggle. And we're persecuted. But Paul rejoices in his sufferings. How is this possible? Because Paul's mind is on Christ and on Christ's body. And because he knows that when you suffer for Christ's sake, something magnificent takes place. Did you catch Paul's wording in verse 24? Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Paul sees his suffering, his toils, his labor as fulfilling a vital honor and glory, that of filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. What is Paul saying? Is he saying that there's something lacking in the cross of Christ, that that Jesus' sufferings only partially cleanse us from sin, and and we, we, we have our own suffering to do to make up the difference like that? Like purgatory is true? No, that's not what Paul is saying. One, that this Greek word afflictions is never used to to speak of Christ's sufferings on the cross. And also it goes against what Paul has already told us in this letter, right? You remember what he says? That that God through Jesus reconciled to himself all things, making peace by the blood of his cross. And of course we know what Jesus said on the cross, right? What he said, it is finished, (laughs) There's nothing to add to it. 
So obviously Paul has something else in mind. What does he mean? I like how N.T. Wright explains Paul's words. Listen, here's what he says. He says, this is not to be seen as addition to Jesus' own suffering. Rather, it is to be seen as an extension of it. Understand this. Christ's death on the cross is perfect and it's full. It needs no addition. But the number of people who have heard and believed the gospel isn't complete. The gospel needs to extend to more and more people. And so, as Paul suffered to extend the gospel message to more and more people, as he toiled and struggled to present the body of Christ mature in Christ, it was a cause for rejoicing. He saw that that Christ was being built up and blessed through it, through something that only he could do. Of course, by the power of Christ in him. My friends, we need a bigger picture of the church, do we not? We are the body of Christ. Jesus is our head. And Jesus loves his body. Yes, the church is far from perfect. But Jesus loves this church nonetheless. And he gave his life for his church. And we will one day be presented in his presence fully mature. Paul has that big picture of the church in his mind, and we need that too. He knows that as he suffers on behalf of the body, he is filling up in some way the glory of Christ and the body of Christ. See, Paul is able to do something on earth that Jesus cannot do without him. Paul is able to suffer so that the gospel message extends further and further upon this earth. That's why Paul rejoices, even though he suffers. His his work is beautiful in the eyes of Christ. And so too is yours when you suffer with joy for the kingdom's sake. It's not empty suffering. It builds up Christ and he treasures it. And so should it not produce joy in us? To know that as we treasure the gospel message and serve the gospel ministry, that yes, we toil and struggle and suffer, but because Christ and his body are blessed in our sufferings, we rejoice. If we could just remember that one thing. That is the method through toil and struggling with suffering. It can sound impossible. It sounds quite intimidating. But let's look now, lastly, at the means that God gives us. Look at the end of verse 29. Struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul is able to toil and struggle and succeed with joy. Why? Is it because of Paul's energy that he musters up? No. Jesus' divine energy and power work within Paul. Paul is speaking of the new covenant reality that God dwells in all his people. Jesus promised this before he went to the cross, that he would one day rise again and and reign from heaven, but he would not leave his people alone. He would send them another one, a comforter, a counselor called the Holy Spirit. And Jesus' promise has come true. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the Spirit of God dwells in you richly? If you've trusted in Christ, he does. The Spirit is in you. Jesus' promise has come true. 
Every Christian genuinely possesses the Spirit of Christ in them. And so as we walk in the Spirit, as we yield our will to Christ's will, the Spirit of Christ powerfully works within us with all of what? His energy. My friends, never lose sight of that. Oh, that we would believe this more and more. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now dwells in us to give us life and holiness and power to serve as stewards of the gospel. And so, my friends, not only do we have Christ in us, the hope of glory, we have Christ in us, the power to live for his glory. Everything that God asks of us, he gives power to do. He doesn't say go dig a hole, uh, but doesn't give a shovel or Gatorade or anything. Our God gives us everything we need to do his work. God gives gospel stewards everything we need. So this morning we've seen that we're to be stewards of the gospel. If you are in Christ, that is, you trust in Christ, this is what you're called into, a stewardship of this gospel message. Of course, first stewarding, stewarding it in your own life, pressing it deep inside so that you don't shift from, from, from the true message of the gospel and seeking after things in this world to fulfill you, but that you embrace and you, you come to what? Treasure the gospel message. And then you come to embrace the gospel ministry. You desire to make the word of God fully known to the people of God. And you desire to make the people of God fully mature in Christ Jesus. And this morning we were reminded that the gospel method, that it's hard, that we, tr- that we, that we struggle, that we toil, that we suffer. But not alone. We toil and we struggle with all his energy that powerfully works within us. And for all this gospel stewarding, it brings us joy. Let's pray. Father, the words that we have read are true. We know they are. We ask that we would know them, not just in our heads, but that we would walk in obedience and experience this knowledge in our lives. And yes, wherever you lead us, whatever trial or hardship that we endure for your sake, Jesus, we can do it with with joy, knowing that Christ in us, the, the hope of glory is sure and certain. Until that day that you return or you call us home, we pray that we be faithful to treasure this gospel message, that we would be stewards of the gospel. Amen.